All right. I'm going to go ahead and turn to Colossians chapter 1. And I'm going to read the passage for today. And where we're at today is actually this really cool... Oh, I guess I don't need this guy now. Uh, where we're at today is we're in this really cool place um, in the book of Colossians where Paul spends verses 15 um, through uh, 20 uh, in, this, in this what theologians like to call the Christ poem. And he talks about uh, who Jesus is, and, and, and we're going to spend the next three weeks kind of walking through this Christ poem. And then after the three weeks of the Christ poem, we get to step into Advent. So it's just like this beautiful, uh, beautiful series of events that was not really planned out ahead of time that just seems to fall into our lap where we get to spend the next three weeks kind of meditating on who Jesus is and then move from that position then to celebrating these gifts that we receive because of the advent of Jesus. Not just 2,000 years ago, but the advent of Jesus in our lives. It's, it's a really beautiful thing. So I'm going to read, and this is what we're going to do for this series, um, is we're going to read the entire passage, um, all three verses, um, kind of next to each other. Um, and uh, then what we're going to do is we're going to... Um, just focus in on a chunk of the chunk of the poem each week. So this week we're going to be focusing on verses 15 through 17 and then so on and so forth. So I'm going to read and then we can pray and then we'll dive in. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. Let's pray. Jesus, we want to thank you so much for this morning and for how you're moving among us and for who you are. And we ask, Lord, that during this time our hearts would be open to you and to seeing your majesty, to seeing your beauty, to seeing your goodness and your greatness in this world. We love you, Lord, so very, very much. much. Amen. Am I okay? They were having difficulty hearing you. So oh, do you I, want me to get closer to the mic? Uh, I just turned the mic up. It was on automatic, so it was on really, really low. So hopefully you should be able to. Can you guys hear him better now? Okay. It's much Great. better. Okay. Great. Thanks, guys. Okay. So today, um, my hope is as we spend the next three weeks in this Christ poem, we are going to be building up in our own hearts and minds a vision of who Christ is that that elevates him in if it's possible even in our hearts and our minds and our souls and our lives um 
and this is this is such a beautiful poem and it's actually if you want to build a christology so if you were a part of uh the early church and there was conversations and there was church councils about who is jesus actually is he god is he the son of god is he man is he divine who is he there are four main passages of scripture that people look to to help build what we call a christology which is a theology of christ it's colossians 1 where we're at right now hebrews 1 john 1 and philippians 2. so it's colossians 1 actually hold on i've got a slide up for this um it's here we go john 1 colossians 1 hebrews 1 and Philippians 2. These are the places that the early church went to in the scriptures for building out a Christology. And so they're just, and, and I love it because it's 1112. It sounds like an emergency phone number of some kind, you know, just call 1112. Um, and it's John 1, Colossians 1, Hebrews 1, Philippians 2. And they're all beautiful passages and they point to different things about the Christ, about who he is. And when I say the Christ, by the way, we all know Christ was not Jesus's last name. Christ is a title. It's the Messiah, okay? These are passages about the Messiah, and Jesus is the person who is our Messiah. Okay, so um, today, in this poem, I want to focus on the first three verses, 15 through 17. And it's so, it's just chock full of imagery. I want to read it kind of on its own briefly. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And what we're getting is a lot of Genesis language. We're getting language from the beginning of time, this creation language. We're getting heaven and earth and visible and invisible and rulers and authorities and powers and domains. And all these things were created through him and were created for him. And then in him, all these things that have been created are held together. Now, uh, to understand what's going on here, what I want to do is I want to spend a little bit of time in Genesis. So I'm going to turn now to Genesis chapter 1. I encourage you to turn with me. And I want to point out some things to help us understand the Hebrew worldview. Because as Paul is writing this, this is Hebrew poetry that he's writing. And it's tying back to Hebrew poetry from the beginning of the book of Genesis and here in Genesis 1. And I'm just going to start with Genesis one one in the beginning god created the heavens and the earth now i want to look briefly at the um at the hebrew words here for heaven and for earth so um the heavens is shemayim or ha shemayim the heavens and when we think of the heavens and when we think of the heavens and the earth what we think of is we think of planet earth and we think of balls of burning gas in the sky that's our imagery now we have to kind of pause that for a second because that is actually the reality of the universe we know that we know the earth is round it's a floating ball of rock in space orbiting a burning orb right we get that the hebrew perspective particularly as moses is penning these words is uh, Shemayim means the sky up here, this sky. The sky is where the birds fly and the stars shine. That's the sky. And then the next word is Eres, the, the earth. 
or Ha-Eres. It's, and it's not the earth like planet earth. It means the land. It means kind of like this, this land around here, where, where I'm at. This is the land. So in the beginning, it says Elohim created the heavens and the earth. And the Hebrew perspective is almost like that of a dome. You think of a, of, of a flat plane with sky above it. Okay? That's the Hebrew perspective. And so this is what God is doing. He says he's creating. Now, we know that in this poetry, it also captures the reality that God created the planets and the universes and the galaxies. We get that. But we're, as we're comparing one poem to understand this poem, we want to look at another poem that it's based off of. And so as it says um, in here in, in Colossians that all things were created through him and for him, we want to go back to this Hebrew imagery. Now, I want to keep going here in Genesis 1, and I want to start reading um, about uh, these. God creates all this, and then he starts creating rulers to rule this dominion. Now, throughout Genesis and throughout this poem where we're at in Colossians today, there's lots of pairings. There's visible and invisible. There's light and dark. There's heaven and earth. There's, you know, God created the heavens and he created the earth. And so we see these pairings over and over and over again. And similarly, we see this pairing about um, who is supposed to rule. And so I want to look at this uh, really briefly. This is... Um, Genesis 1, and he says uh, in verse 26, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So we see God has created this d domain, and then he creates rulers to rule over this domain, to rule over the land and the earth. Okay? And then, verse 27, he created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Which is so, such a beautiful imagery that you and I are created in the image of God. But remember, here in Colossians chapter 1, it says he, talking about Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. And so already, as we're building our picture of Christ, we're building on the idea of the incarnation, which is the fancy theological word for God putting on flesh, becoming incarnate, becoming man. And it's it's just a be beautiful touch point back to Genesis. But here's actually what I want to point out. You and I are very comfortable and very familiar with the earth, with the dominion of the earth, with the fish and the birds and all that kind of stuff. But if we look at Colossians chapter 1, the earth and this domain that we're really familiar with is only half of the poem. He is the image of the invisible God. We have a, a visible image compared to an invisible image. For all things were created, both on he in heaven and on earth. We're very comfortable with the earth. We're not as comfortable with the heaven. Visible and invisible. Remember these pairings are happening over and over again. Thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. Those are actually pairings as well, and we'll get into that in a little bit. And so we see we see this, and what I want to do today is to help us understand the grandness and magnitude of who Jesus is. I want to spend a little bit of time focusing on what does it mean that he is the head of all creation, things visible and invisible. Now, I know this is going to make 
some of us uncomfortable. It's making me uncomfortable even talking about it because we live in such a materialistic worldview that we can't even handle thinking about the things that are invisible. It feels weird. It feels wrong. But I want us to spend some time here because, did you know, in the book of Genesis, humans are not the only rulers listed in Genesis chapter 1. Look at Genesis chapter 1, 16. No, actually, I start in 14. And God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night and let them be signs for signs and for seasons. I want you to remember that these are signs, okay? For days and years and let them be lights in the expanse of heavens and give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the nights and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light to the earth. Verse 18 to rule over the day and over the night and to separate the light from the darkness and god saw that it was good so what we have is we have two realms that have been created here in genesis we have a heavenly realm with lights that are set to rule and remember these lights are symbols now are stars gaseous balls of burning everything yes that's what stars are we know that but stars are symbols of a spiritual reality And actually, the Bible uses this word for stars, and it uses it in such a way that it personifies them. Here, I want to share a passage here. Um, This is from um, Amos. Amos 5.20. From the heaven, the stars fought. From their courses, they fought against Sisera. You see, what happens is this word used here for stars is used in the Bible to talk about spiritual beings over and over and over again. And as and often when we in the Bible, when people encounter angels, they encounter beings of brilliant white light. Okay, so stars in Genesis in this beautiful Hebrew poetry are symbolic for spiritual beings of power and light. Everyone with me so far? Okay, we're going we're gonna to keep going. We'll see how many of you still go to church here when I'm done. No, I'm just teasing. Okay, now here's, here's why I'm trying to focus on this is because we're so comfortable and we're so familiar with the dominion of earth, with the dominion of the land around here, with the birds and the fish, that when it comes to the spiritual realm, um, I don't want us as a church to be ignorant of this, Okay. So what I want to do is I want to turn now um, and, and I, want to, I want to go through different passages of the Bible that talk about what the, using the words of Scripture, the divine counsel. And we're going to uh, turn now to Genesis, or not to Genesis, to Psalm 82. Go ahead and turn with me to Psalm 82. And I'm going to read verse 1. <clears throat> Okay, so it says, God has taken his place in the divine council. In the midst of the gods, he holds judgment. So the question arises, what is going on here? And the, here's, how, here's how the Hebrew has it. God, Elohim, has taken his place in the divine council. In the midst of the Elohim, he holds judgment. Now, 
grammatically, the structure of the Hebrew here makes it so that the first usage of the term Elohim has to be singular. It has to be single God. Okay? And then, the because of uh, the preposition in the midst of, the second Elohim has to be plural. And so we have Elohim taking his place in the divine council in the midst of Elohim. Okay? Everyone with me so far? Okay. Now, uh, often in the Bible, God is called Elohim. Okay? It's a title that we use for God. But Elohim is used for lots of other spiritual beings as well. And often, God is called Yahweh Elohim, or El Shaddai, El being short for Elohim, Elohim Almighty, as in, even though, Elohim, think of Elohim as a spiritual category rather than a title for the creator God, Yahweh. Remember, Yahweh is God's name, right? Everyone with me so far? Nodding heads? Okay. So, um, now what I want to do is I want to turn to, so he's... We've got to have this image of God ruling over a divine council of other Elohim. Now, we would call these angels. This is the term we're familiar with, okay? The term we're comfortable with. So, we have God in the, is a picture ruling over a divine council. And then, I want to turn to 1 Kings chapter 22. And I don't have a slide for this because it's so much text. Um, but we have this incredible... Um, insight into the divine council. And this is through um, a prophecy uh, from Micaiah. So I'm going to start reading in 1 Kings 22, starting in verse um, 19. And Micaiah said, Therefore, hear the word of Yahweh. I saw Yahweh sitting on his throne and all the host of heaven standing beside him on his right and on his left. And Yahweh said, who will entice Ahab that he may go and fall at Ramath Gilead? And one said one thing, and another said another. Then a spirit came forward and stood before Yahweh and said, I will entice him. And Yahweh said, by what means? And he said, I will go out and I will be a lying spirit in the mouth of all his prophets. And he said, you are to entice him. You shall succeed and go out and do so. We have this picture of the divine council in action where you have Yahweh hosting a meeting, it looks like. It almost feels like a CEO board meeting. And they say, hey, we have this problem. What are we going to do? And it says, you know, and one, <laughs> it says uh, one thing said another and another said another. You know, they're tossing ideas out. And then one spirit comes forward and says, hey, I've got an idea. And Yahweh says, great, let's go and let's do that. Now, again, I understand this is uncomfortable stuff to think about because we don't like to think about it. We like to live in our tangential, like I can reach out and touch it, smack it with my hands realm. But the reality is, there is a spiritual realm where God is, and it's beautiful, and it's glorious, absolutely amazing. Now, um, here's what I am not saying. Even though the word Elohim is translated in the Bible often as lowercase g gods, this is not polytheism. There is one creator God who created two realms, heaven and earth. 
and he created rulers for these different realms. He created spiritual rulers, and he created physical land-dwelling rulers. Okay? Um, that said, there were a portion of these Elohim, these spiritual beings, that rebelled against Yahweh. And we see this rebellion taking place. Um, and I'm kind of divided about where I want to go here. Left. What do we want to do? Deuteronomy or Ezekiel? What, what are we feeling? Ezekiel. Ezekiel. Okay. The, the crowds have spoken. We're going to Ezekiel. Because it's a mess. And <laughs> why not? Okay. Um, let's see here. We're going to do Ezekiel. And we might as well start um, in Ezekiel. Let's start in chapter 1. Okay. We might still end up in Deuteronomy. Hard to say. It, it happens to the best of us. What can I say? Boy, it's funny preaching with a peanut gallery. <laughs> okay, here we go. Um, Ezekiel is having this vision. Chapter 1, verse 4. And looked, I looked, and behold, a stormy wind came from the north. And there's in the midst of it was fire, and it was gleaming metal. In the midst came the likeness of four living creatures. And it was their appearance. They had a human likeness, but each had four faces, and each of them had four wings. And their legs were straight, and the soles of their feet were like the sole of a calf's foot. And they sparkled like burnished bronze, and under their wings and their four sides they had human hands. And, then the, and the four had faces and wings, and thus and their wings touched each other, and each one of them went straight forward without turning they went. And the likeness of the faces, each had a human face. The four had the face of a lion on the right side. The four had the face of an ox on the left side. And the four had the face of an eagle. Such were their faces. And their wings were sprouted above. And we're getting these pictures of uh, in, this, in this vision of these heavenly beings. They're majestic. They're mysterious. They're beautiful. They're incredible. Okay. Now, go ahead and turn to Ezekiel 28. <clears throat> and I'm going to start reading... Um, in verse 11. Moreover, the word of Yahweh came to me, son of man, raise a lamentation over the king of Tyre and say to him, thus says Yahweh Elohim. So who is the king of Tyre? Let's read and find out. You were the signet of perfection. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Interesting. Every precious stone was your covering. Sardius, topaz, and diamond, beryl, onyx, and jasper, sapphire, emerald, and carbuncle. Crafted in gold were your settings and your engravings. On the day that you were created, they were prepared. You were an anointed guardian cherub. Cherub being uh, the description that Ezekiel had of those four beings that came down out of heaven earlier. And actually, if you keep going with that vision, they're carrying the throne of God that the Almighty is sitting on. It's just an incredible vision. So now we have this being that is crafted in beauty and arrayed in splendor that was in Eden, was in the beginning, and was this cherub, was this angel. I placed you you were on the holy mountain of God. Now, again, to get back into our into our um, Hebrew worldview, the mountain of God is a very special place in Scripture. We see people encountering God on the mountain over and over and over. Mount Sinai, Mount Ararat, even um, the Garden of Eden, right? 
is is up on a mountain because you have all these rivers that flow down out from Eden. It's it's a high place, okay? Um, and this is um, this is Ezekiel 11 down, and I'm continuing to read, okay? You were in the mountain. I placed you. You were on the holy mountain of God. In the midst of the stones of fire, you walked. What is that? No idea. It's awesome, though. Let's keep going. <laughs> Verse 15. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created. Beautiful. So far, the king of Tyre, whoever this is, incredible, beautiful, angelic, majestic being. Fascinating. Verse 15. You were blameless in all your ways from the day you were created till unrighteousness was found in you and our hearts drop. In the abundance of your trade, you were filled with violence in your midst and you sinned. So I cast you as a profane thing from the mountain of God and I destroyed you, O guardian cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. Your heart was proud because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. I cast you to the ground. I exposed you before kings to feast their eyes on you. And we have this literal fall from grace, this brokenness, this destruction of this beautiful, incredible, angelic being. Okay? Now, okay, now let's go to Deuteronomy. This is, I know where, this is where everyone else wanted to go other than the people in the room. Okay, I'm going to Deuteronomy um, chapter 4. Oh, hold on. Oh, I don't have Deuteronomy chapter 4 in here. No worries. Okay, I'm just going to read it. Uh, This is Deuteronomy chapter 4, and I'm going to start reading in verse 19. And beware, lest you raise your eyes to heaven... And when you see the sun and the moon and the stars and all the, quote, host of heaven, you be drawn away and bow down to them and serve them. Remember, we talked about the personification, the rulers of the stars. He's not talking about serving burning balls of gas. He's talking about serving these lesser, these lower Elohim. Do you guys remember uh, the very first commandment? Exodus 20, 1 through 3. I am Yahweh. You will have no other Elohim before me. These these beings that are trying to draw worship and draw glory away from God are demonic. They're fallen angelic beings. They're fallen Elohim that are now just like we have as humans done gone our own way trying to usurp usurp our own authority from Yahweh that's what these beings are doing okay and by the way we see this happen in King Solomon's life okay here I'm going to turn to first Kings uh, 11. first Kings 11 verse 1 has like the most hilarious start to any chapter in the Bible in my opinion now, King Solomon loved many foreign women. <laughs> like, oh, buddy, I'm so, man, so much, like, advice for you. Um, along with the daughter of Pharaoh, Moabite, Ammonite, Edomite, Sidonian, and Hittite women, from the nations concerning which Yahweh had said to the people of Israel, you shall not enter into marriage with them, neither shall they with you, for surely they will turn away your heart after their Elohim. After their lowercase g gods, 
these non-creator God spiritual beings that have dominion and authority. Okay? So, what did Solomon do? When Solomon was old, his wives turned his, away his heart after the other gods. Just like Yahweh said it would happen. Surprise, surprise. And so, what happens? Verse 5, For Solomon went after Ashereth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and after Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites. So Solomon did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and did not wholly follow Yahweh, as David his father has done. Then Solomon built a high place, remember high places, spiritual places, for Chemish, the abomination of Moab, and for Molech, the abomination of the Ammonites, on the mountain east of Jerusalem. And he did for all his foreign wives who made offerings and sacrifice to their gods. This is uh, 1 Kings 11, 1 through 8. And so we have this image that's building in our heart here where Yahweh says, don't worship these rebellious spiritual beings. You worship me. I'm the creator of everything. I'm the creator of all, right? And by the way, um, I, I want to briefly jump over to 2 Kings, just a few pages to the right, 2 Kings chapter 3. Because sometimes we think these spiritual beings have no power. And I want to I want to remind us that's not the case at all. There is power, power in the spiritual realm, in the heavenly realm. So this is 2 Kings chapter 3. And I'm going to start reading in verse 26. When the king of Moab saw the battle was going against him. So what's happening is the king of Moab is battling against the Israelites. Okay. And I've, I've used this illustration before. I used it last year. So some of you might remember it. Um, the king of Moab saw the battle was going against him. He took with him 700 swordsmen to try to break through opposite the king of Edom, but he could not. So the battle's going against the king of Moab. So he comes up with a military strategy. We're going to do this. We're going to break through. It's going to work out. And it doesn't work out. Okay. Verse 27. Then he took his oldest son, who was to reign in his place. He took his heir, his firstborn, and offered him... For a burnt offering on the wall. And there came a great wrath against Israel, and they withdrew from him and returned to their own land. What happens is the king of Moab tries a military strategy. I'm going to take 700 soldiers, we're going to break through the lines over here, and then we're going to have success and we're going to win the battle. That strategy fails. So what does he do instead? He goes back to his castle, takes his firstborn son, and performs child sacrifice on the wall. And where we just were in 1 Kings 11 tells us that this Elohim, this spiritual being, this lowercase g God of the Moabites is this God Chemish. And so he does child sacrifice on the wall to this demonic power and the, and the battle turns against Israel. Now, just so we're all clear, Yahweh was not like with Israel during this time. This was not like a bright moment for Israel, okay? But we see here real demonic power and beings, okay? Now, when we turn, okay, <laughs> does anyone want to go back to Colossians yet? Let's go back to Colossians 1. Good Lord. Let's get out of the weird places in the Bible, Pastor. Yeah. Okay. Colossians 1. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, Visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. Now, as we're reading this passage of, of all things were created for him, even rulers and dominions and authorities and powers, 
um, I think it's helpful for us to remember what Paul wrote in Ephesians. This is Ephesians 6, verse 12. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. This is our conflict. This is the reality we live in. Our battle is not against flesh and blood. Our battle is not against the Democrats. Our battle is not against the Republicans. Our battle is against the spiritual forces of darkness, even the heavenly realms that are moving and active today. That's our battle. That's who we're fighting against. Because you're kidding yourself if you think these Elohim of old have taken a vacation or a break. They're demons. They're demons. And they're moving just as much today as they were back then. And we're kidding ourselves if we just keep turning down the volume of these parts of the Bible that weird us out that we don't quite understand because they're in the heavenly realm. This is a real battle. In fact, this is the battle that we're fighting every day. This is the battle that you and I are stepping forward to. And the problem is so often we're not even equipping ourselves to go into battle this way. Now, what um, Rick and I were having a conversation this last week and come January, we're going to have, I think, a three week class on a Wednesday night on spiritual warfare. And I feel like today, this morning, I'm, I'm sure there's a million questions about Elohim and how does this work and the divine council and all this different kind of stuff. We want to take three weeks and do a deep dive into this um, on a Wednesday night class where we can answer questions and, 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 and explore mysteries together. And how does this work? I don't know. The Bible's not clear about that. All that different kind of stuff. Um, so look for that in January. But for today, what I want to do is I want to now reread this poem with all of that as our backdrop. Because the way the Bible was, was created and written, it was meant to be read over and over and over and over and over again. And the reason why it was created to be read over and over and over and over again is so that as you come to different passages, it starts triggering things in your mind where you think, oh yeah, that links into this. And oh yeah, that links into this. And this links into this. And as we read it more and more and more, we see these themes and these truths and these realities come to the surface. And so now, this is why I spent all that time focusing on this backstory about the heavenly realm. So now we can come to this poem and we're equipped to see the beauty and the fullness of what Paul had in his heart and his mind for the Colossians when he wrote this. Okay? So here's what he said. And I'm going to read it all the way through. And then I want to go through line by line and break it down. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things and in him, all things hold together. Man, suddenly the majesty of who Jesus is, is being elevated in my heart as I'm thinking about Jesus being the head and over all creation, not just the physical realm, which is incredible and beautiful and amazing. I'm looking out at this lake that's just sparkling like diamonds as the sun is shining down on it. It's incredible. Okay, verse 15. 
He is the image of the invisible God. Let's pause. I so implore you, family of God, every time you feel like you're not understanding God, where are you? God, who are you? God, why would you? All those questions. I want you to please run them through the filter of who is Jesus. In Jesus, the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Remember, we talked about those four passages about Jesus. The four. Remember, one, 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 two. Then remember the four in the room? John. John one. Hebrews one. Colossians one. Philippians two. You guys are ready to talk about Christ. (laughs) Yeah. So he's the image of the invisible God. We walk through this world with an invisible God. We walk through this world with God who is invisible, who is present, who is living, who is alive, who is transformative and invisible. Jesus is the image we have of that God. Whenever I read the Old Testament and I don't get it, I put it through the filter of who Jesus is. The fullness of God is pleased to dwell in Jesus. Turn to Jesus every single time, every single time, and your hearts will be comforted. Okay, the firstborn of all creation. Now, um, this verse almost has to be, or this section, this clause has to be read with the next verse. He was not the first created being. Jesus was not created. The firstborn of all creation is a title. Does that make sense? And it wouldn't make sense that he would be the first created thing because the next verse says, for by him, all things were created. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. If if he was first created and then the rest of everything was created through him, it would have to say the rest. It says all things were created through him. Does that make sense? <clears throat> okay. <clears throat> for by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth. Everything we see, everything, the beauty, the glory, the majesty. We were walking on the beach yesterday, and it's just like, oh my goodness. The the ocean, the waves, the sunset, the clouds scream out. I have an artist. I have someone who made me, who crafted me. And my very existence screams that out, that there is a beautiful creator and maker. In heaven and on earth. And not, by the way, yes, I mean, when you study space, I don't know about you guys, look up at the stars, look through a telescope, you see space, it blows you away. I'm not downplaying that at all. I just don't want us to miss the Hebrew literary allusions to spiritual powers and beings. Because all of these things, these cherubim that are holding the throne in Ezekiel chapter 1 are beautiful and magnificent and incredible and mind-blown and evoke emotions of worship and awe and wonder. He, Those were created for him. And even the ones that fell, right? He goes on, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, right? We've talked about the dominions and rulers of authorities in Ephesians chapter 6, these spiritual powers. <clears throat> They were created for him, just like you and I were, and rebelled, or a small portion of them did. We were all created to glorify God together, to glorify Jesus, and to sing in unison with the rest of creation, spiritual beings, physical beings, 
the earth, the planet, the stars, the moon, the animals. We are all created to join in a resounding chorus of glorifying our creator. Absolutely stunning and amazing. Verse 17, and he is before all things and in him all things hold together. Man, I don't know about you, but that is just life to me. He is before all of this. He is before all this brokenness. He is before all this beauty. All of this was created by him and exists for him. And even now, in this present moment, all things are held together by him. And the beautiful part about this is that we're not talking about a distant God. We're talking about a God who died on a cross for you and me. We're talking about a God who ascended to the right hand of the Father and sent his spirit to be with us, to comfort us, to guide us, to speak to us, even to the end of the age. And part of the reason, if not the main reason, this this beautiful poem is here is because what Paul is trying to do with the Colossians is he's asking them to submit the entirety of their lives to him. This is Colossians chapter 2, verse 6. Therefore, as you received the Lord, or as you received Christ Jesus as the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught. This is the hope, is that we would have such a high Christology, such a high perspective and hope and view of who Jesus is, that when it comes to submitting every aspect of our life to him, we go, of course, we have to. There's no other option. He's the king who made everything. He made absolutely everything. And because he made everything, we need to submit all of who we are to him. Whether that be in spiritual warfare, whether that be in cooking eggs in the morning, whatever it is, everything we do, we do it for him because he's the one who made us. And we celebrate that and we step into that. And that means even that we give to him the parts of our lives that we don't want to give up. Every aspect of our life was created for him. And so we turn and we surrender everything we've got to this king who is so beautiful, who's so rich, who's so sweet and so lovely. And we turn our affections to him and say, you are my king today again and again and again. Each morning when we rise, we say, Lord, this day is for you. We live for you. We love you. Thank you for being our king. Thank you for being our Lord. Because everything that was created was created by him and for him. And in him, all things hold together. That's our king. Amen? We're going to spend some time singing now. And I encourage you to go and get the elements. um, And sometime during the next few songs to reflect and remember the king who made you who made everything let's spend some time singing and praising and remembering our lord together